I like the kid at the end there. He spells love K-I-S-S. I like that. Um, we are finishing up our series on tough questions. And what we're going to do is we're going to finish up this series on... I, I've always wanted to really do a, a, just a, 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 a talk on this, a sermon on this, on, on really what is love. Because this is real interesting to me because, because love is probably described in a million different ways. And it, it all depends on who you ask. And, and, and the reason why I think that's the case is, is love is so hard to define. And if there's... Uh, if you listen to the radio uh, for any length of time, there, there's always a song that talks about um, love. You know, w- w- you know, songs like "What Is Love?" Um, I want to know what love is. Um, what does love have to do with it? Silly little. Love songs. Notice I did everything for my generation. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? All the kids are like, what? What? Those are, those are when songs were cool, by the way. Okay, just for you youngsters out there. Um, here's the reason why I believe love is so hard to define. And, and I believe it's for this reason. We base our love on our what? Feelings, right? Feelings. Nothing more than, right? So we base our love on this, and and this is dangerous. The reason why this is dangerous is our feelings are attached to our emotions, and our emotions change, and our feelings change. So if, if our love is anchored to our feelings and our emotions, how many know those things Change and, and how many of us made bad decisions based on our emotions? Have you ever made a bad decision based on your emotions? Okay, so he, let me give you this. For those of you that don't think you made a bad decision based on your emotions, I want all of you to either go into your garage today or go into your basement and begin to look around at all those emotional decisions that you made at a garage sale last week, right? Or on those infomercials. How many still have a Ronco record cleaner in your basement somewhere? Or the Ginsu knives? Or the bamboo steamer that you thought you just could not live without? Or the dehydrator, right? You're going to make all that beef jerky. And your wife kept waiting for it, and it never came. And it's still sitting in the box. And then you end up putting in your garage sale for somebody else to buy. And it's going to sit in their garage. And then they're going to put it in their garage sale for somebody else to buy in the box. And then they're going to end up putting it in their garage sale. for It's a never-ending cycle. Insanity. That's supposed to be funny, by the way. But anyway, that... That's what we do. We we the problem is we 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 buy things on our emotions and 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 we know that like commercials they'll play at your 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 heart strings. Um, that's why we love the Hallmark commercials when the Hallmark movie comes on and the Hallmark card commercials comes on and everybody's crying at the end of them because they play to your emotions and we usually don't make the best. In fact, we never probably make the best choice if it's based on our emotions. That's why the prophet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
So whether you're looking to get married or you're looking to improve your marriage or looking to have the right kind of relationship that honors God, we need to get this love thing correct. And if, if we're going to honor God in church, we need to get this love thing right. And, and this is one of the commands that Jesus left with us. And that we are to love one another. In fact, in John 13, 30, 34 and 35, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to leave you a, a new command. This is something I'm going to give you uh, that's going to help you. And he says, so a new command I'm going to give to you. That is that you are to love one another just as I've what loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. So within this very verse is a very radical definition of love. Love that is very different from the world that we live in. Because within this command comes this command to love one another with a sacrificial love. Not not an emotional love. uh, Not a sentimental love. But a love that is sacrificial, a love that looks beyond the uh, my needs to serve the needs of others, even a love that goes beyond those who are lovable to those who are, in fact, even my enemies. So this is radical. That's why it's new. And Jesus says, listen, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by how you treat one another, by how you love each other. In fact, Jesus broke down all 613 commands into two. And he says this, it's recorded for us in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Just like we sang this morning. This is, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is telling us that at the, at the crux of every follower of him is love. God says, love me and love each other. And I believe probably the best definition that we can see of love and how we live it out authentically in our life is found in 1 John chapter 4. And this is why I love this, because it defines what love is, and then it defines for us how we are to live that out in our life. So 1 John 4, 7 and 10 talks about that God is love. The very characteristic of God is love. And so John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It has to originate with God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, what I want to do is I want to break this down because what's defined for us is the characteristic of love. The source of love, how love is demonstrated to us, and how we are to live out that love in our daily living. So our our love, if it's going to be real love, it's not going to be mushy love, it's not going to be sentimental love, it's not going to be fluffy love. Um, Our love must be filtered through God's love if it's truly going to be authentic. So we must start with him if we're going to understand this real meaning of love. So the big question is... How do we love with the right type of love? Because we've all got burned by those words, love. 
Because we understand that we use that word love to manipulate, to get our way, or someone used that word love to manipulate, to get their way. And so many of us are, are very cautious when we hear that word love because we've all got burned by those words. Someone says, I love you, and then they turn around and they stab you in the back. Or someone says, I love you, and then the next thing you know, they, they leave. And so we've all got burned by those words. So we need to understand what is the right type of love. And so John describes for us in this passage what true love is and what it isn't. And so John describes for us that God manifests his love among us. And how did God do this? Well, God did this through his son. So before we get into the characteristics of love, we need to look at the source of love. Because if it doesn't start there, we're all going to have the wrong understanding of love. And we're going to live out that understanding of love incorrectly in our lives. And even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can even live out that wrong definition of love that's more manipulative. And it's more, I want this and I want that. It's not really living out the type of love that God desires for us to live out. So we have to understand the source of love. So listen, in our humanness... We can express love, but our love is limited. It's something we, we can show, but it's not something that we are. John says that God is love. God's love is absolute. His love is perfect. It's without fault, and it's without bias or prejudice. God's not looking for something else. He's not trying to manipulate us. There's, there's not something in the small print that you missed when you bought that thing, right? Um, it's not something on the commercial that someone at the end of the commercial, when he says, this car is free, and then you can't understand what he says at the end. And, you know, so there's not, there's not that small print. There's not someone at the end of the commercial that's speaking so fast that you can't understand it, even if you slow it down, right? It's, it's uncontrolled Conditional. His love is not based on conditions. It's not based on what I do or I don't do. And everybody said, amen. So God's love is not sloppy. Uh, God's love does not overlook our sin. God's love is perfect in the way he deals with us. And so God's love is perfect in both truth and grace and the way he gives it to us when we least deserve it. Randy Elkhorn makes a, a great quote about the, uh, the, the, how grace and truth must be blended together. He says, truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism. Grace without truth degenerates into a deceitful tolerance. You see, God's love doesn't tolerate sin and rebellion. And, and here's, here's what I think, because when, if we're going to look at God and we're going to define God through our love, we're going to mess it up every single time. So in order to understand God, we have to start with him. That's the problem with religion. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach God. Religion is man's attempt to try to please God in our own works. And if you look at any other world religion, what's very interesting, what's a very common thread with every other world religion beside biblical Christianity is it's man's attempt to try to reach God. It's man's attempt to try to do penance and try to do right things to try to appease the gods or appease God's holiness. 
That's why it's so messed up because then everybody is on different levels. Well, I'm better than you because I'm more righteous or I do more church attendance or blah, 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 blah. Christianity is the complete opposite. It's God's way of reaching us. God came to us. John said that God sent his son. He displayed and manifest his, his love towards us by sending his son to us when we least deserved it. And so we can lie to ourselves and believe that God is love so that he overlooks our sin. Or we may say, or somebody may have said this to you. How can God be a loving God if he allows fill in the blank? How can God be such a loving God if these things happen, right? Because what we're doing is we're trying to define God through our limitations and our finite understanding of what love is. How many of you who truly love your children would not correct them if they are wrong? If you didn't correct them, it would actually show your lack of love for them. So God's love does something about our sin. And this is what John emphasizes. John tells us that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. So what this is, is it's not a subjective love. It's not an abstract love. That's why I can't stand, it it just irritates me, and it drives me nuts about Olympic ice skating. Those of you that watch it, okay? Um, It's so subjective because it's based on some judge or an abstract painting. To one, it's a piece of art. To another, it looks like a three-year-old painted it. Right? It's, it's subjective to the, to the person that's viewing it, to the judge that's uh, doing it. God's love is not subjective. It's not an abstract. It's based in something concrete that we can hold on to. This is, this is where we need to be careful with sentimental love. And, and this is where it can creep into the church if we're not careful. If you look into your past, there are things that you're very sentimental about, right? Some of you are very sentimental about your cars. Some of you are very sentimental about your house. Your kids grew up in there or whatever. And you, and you get very attached to these things because it's very sentimental to you. I remember um, I was playing a song for my, my teenage boys of when I first became a Christian as a teenager. And I go, guys, listen to this song. It's so good. And it just reminds me of when I was first saved and I started following God. You can, I'm listening to the song and I'm crying. Crying, and I'm like, this is so great. And I look over my boys thinking they'd be crying and they'd just be into it. And they'd be like, dad, that's so wonderful. Keep playing the song. And I look over and they're like, really, dad, that song is so lame. It's so 80s, dad. Really? They could. And I'm like, what? Get out of the car and start walking. Get out. This song is great. It's godly. It's holy. Listen to it. You know, they did. It didn't. It. Why? Because it was sentimental to who? Me. And if we're, listen, listen, you prepare, listen to this. Just listen. For those of you who've been in church a long time, and I hear you, I've been a Christian a lot of years, and there are songs that are very sentimental to me. That doesn't mean they're any more holy than the songs we sing today. Okay? Just because I know some are like, Pastor, this song means so much to me. <laughs> Can we just sing? And I'm like, I know it means a lot to you, and I like that song too. But it's sentimental. It brings back good memory. And that's 
okay, just like your home or something that you're sentimental. It's very personal and sentimental to you, but to somebody else, it really isn't that sentimental. We can't base our love or our practices based on sentiment. Thank God that God's love is not based on sentimental love because that's, that's subjective to the person that it's very sentimental to. Amen? But God's love is based in something that's not sentimental. It, it's not simply sentimental, but it's something real and tangible that we can experience through Jesus Christ. So God set the standard for love by giving us his son. We didn't first love God. In fact, the Bible says we were enemies with God. So in spite of my sin and rebellion, God sent his son through his love and through his grace to become a sacrifice and a payment for my sin. My sin brings divine wrath and judgment against me. Yet God, listen, yet God and his great love reached out to us when we didn't deserve it. That's why I love Romans 5.8. It's the gospel message in in this one verse all wrapped up together. And, And what I love what Paul says here, he says, God shows us. Or demonstrates his love for us. It's just not sentimental love. It's just not words. It's not empty promises. But God says, God shows or demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was something that God did for us when we didn't deserve it. It was complete sacrificial love that that was that that was surrounded by his grace that we didn't deserve none of us in this room deserves god's grace we are all sinners rebellious against god no matter who you are we did not deserve god's grace but yet he demonstrates it towards us by showing us how much he loves us by giving us the gift of his son jesus dying in the place of our sin taking on the wrath of god And what he did for you and I, we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus became the substitute for you and I because of our sin. And and the only way that you can really understand love and grace and be able to give true love and grace is to understand that simple gospel message. And when you understand what Jesus did for you and you didn't deserve it, and you receive God's love and you receive his forgiveness... For your sins, now you're able to give forgiveness when it's not deserved. All right? That's where it gets hard. Because if my love is not based in that, then my love is based on who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it, right? And now my love becomes very conditional. I'll love you if, right? If you do this, I'll love you. Or, boy, I love you when you do this for me, right? God's love is not based in that way in his son. God gave to us when we least deserve it. So if if that love has not captured my heart, if I'm not living that way, then I'll always have a wrong foundation for how I live out love in my life, how I offer forgiveness in my life. When the gospel message grabs your heart that you are a sinner and Jesus died in place of your sin, 
and you find God's forgiveness and there's repentance that comes through that, then all of a sudden your life and your attitude begins to change because now you realize, man, I didn't deserve this, but yet God through his grace and his love has captured my heart. And now I want to live out that love. There was an interesting thing about Christians that people noticed in the first century. And one of the things that secular writers or historians wrote about Christians in the first century is they're like, there's something different about this group because they really love each other. Their love is expressed in how they give to one another, how they care for one another. And that was, that's exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about. They're going to know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. So here's, here's what I hope will make sense and will help some of you today to get over your guilt and the shame of your past. And to realize, is my love correct? Am I loving correctly? And, and to make amends for um, the wrong way that I looked at it. I want you to understand that Jesus didn't die for righteous people. He came for those who didn't have it all together. He didn't come for righteous, religious people. Jesus came for sinners. And Jesus tells us that he did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. So it's okay to admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. And that's okay. I know we live in a day and age where we're all supposed to tell we're special. We're all snowflakes. and We're all unique. I, I get all that. You guys are wonderful and I love you. And you all have your little special little quirks and they're cute and whatever. Okay. But listen, the bottom line is we're all sinners. All of us, myself, any, anyone on the face of this planet, we're, we're sinners and we need a savior. We're all in the same boat. And so John tells us that through God's love, he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And that's an important word to understand in the Bible. And, and what this word literally means is that Jesus bore God's wrath and became that perfect sacrifice because he was perfect. So a, a good definition of propitiation is this. Now, I want you to understand this. Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and then turns it into favor. So he, here's what I want you to understand this morning. Not only did Jesus bear your wrath and your sin and, and became your substitute for your sin and my sin. Not only did he do that, but what he did was he then turns it into favor. Where, where, where our sins are forgiven through Christ Jesus, now God's favor is turned towards us where we now received the gift of eternal life, which none of us deserve. And so through faith, I can now find favor with God. And all this was motivated through God's love. So where does the rubber meet the road here? See, when I receive that love... I must now walk in that love. And, and this is where we can easily blow it. We are much, the proclivity of our heart is much easier to find grace on ourselves than it is to give to somebody else. Right? We're much easier on ourselves than we are on other people. Okay, you're all with me there. Okay, come on. You're all with me. Okay, and this is where we can blow it because because we must, listen, if we receive that love when we least deserved it, and we recognize that we're all sinners, and we deserve death and hell uh, aside from God, and we deserve God's punishment, yet Jesus paid for that through God's love in his son, and we receive that by faith, and now I don't walk in that love, something's not connecting, 
right? We, we missed something here, right? How can I not give love when I've received that love? And this is where a lot of Christians or so-called Christians that follow God blow it and miss it. Because we must walk in that love, not when we're in church necessarily, when everybody smells nice, right? And we all talk the same Christian language. We're all worshiping and it's just nice. And hey, how you doing? Have a wonderful day. It's sunny out today. Woo, we're all feel good, right? Everybody's happy, easy here, right? But what happens tomorrow morning when you got to go to your job? You got to deal with the same stuff, right? Then it's, then it's harder to love when someone cuts you off the road, right? That, that's when the rubber meets the road. How am I walking in that love? So, so what are the characteristics? We understand the source of love comes through Christ and Christ alone and sacrificial uh, love for us. There's the source of it. That's changed my life. Now, how does that, what's the fruit of that? What are the characteristics of love? And so the Apostle Paul puts on the characteristics of love with a perfect perspective. And this is where everyone, if you sat at a wedding, you heard this, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me, let me read you the best way of love that Paul describes of how we need to walk in this love now. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 13. If he goes, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong... Or a clanging symbol. If I have prophetic powers and understands of all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and so to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not loved, I gain what? Nothing. Whoa. Wait a minute. This is a pretty good resume of pretty spiritual people. People that can have great prophetic powers and spiritual gifts and can move mountains with their faith and and, and can deliver up their bodies to be burned and be martyrs for the Lord. Yet if they do not love, all of that is what? Meaningless to the Lord. So then Paul describes what love is. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It shall not look at its neighbor's new car and boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying putting on the appearance of spirituality doesn't mean that you're walking in love. Let me say that again because I don't come up with many of these guys. Okay, so let me come up with this again. Putting on the appearance of spirituality doesn't mean you're walking in love. True godly love. True spirit-filled living, the emblem of that is how we walk in love. You see, true godly love allows me to see through people's faults and offers grace when it's not deserved. I love this quote by Bruce Barton. He says this. Listen closely because many of us are like this. If you expect perfection from people... 
Your whole life is a series of disappointments, grumblings, and complaints. If you expect perfection from people, your whole life is a series of disappointments, grumblings, and complaints. You see, Christ loves us and desires the best in us. So if if I'm going to live this love out in my life, if I'm going to want the best in other people, then my love has to be like Christ's love. I can't tell Jesus how I want to love or who I want to love and how I want to love them because, listen, if they done me wrong, then they don't deserve my love. Well, thank you, Jesus, that he didn't act that way with Barton Drace, right? Because I wouldn't be here right now if that were the case. So if I'm going to love with that, then then a Christ-like love desires the best in others. A Christ-like love serves without looking for compliments. A Christ-like love doesn't give in order to receive. And so let me let me let me just show you the difference of love and how love is expressed in the world and how we need to express it as followers of Jesus Christ and how it's different. Because because the way we do the love thing is so messed up in our world today. It's just, it's horrific how we love. You see, love that only gets is lust. That That's, that's egotistical. That, that, that's only boosting my ego. It's only what I can get out of this relationship. Love that only gets is lust. And I, and I share this with young people. If you're dating, the person says, well, you would do this for me if you love me. And I tell them, well, tell this to that person. Um, if you love me, you wouldn't ask me to do that. Come on. Parents, write that down because that's a good one to write and tell your teenager, Okay. Because if they're pressuring them to do something that they don't want to do, and then they use the old love card on them, then I always say, well, if you really love me, you wouldn't ask me to do something that I didn't want to do. Okay, that, that's, that's egotistic. That's egotistical. Love that only gives to get, it's mutualistic. And that, that's really how our world operates in these first two ones, right? Egotistical and mutualistic. I, I, I'm giving, but there's always this ulterior motive. You do something for someone, and, and when the time is right, you pull out that out of your holster, right? You, you, you got that. I'm going to do this for something, but I'm going to put that in my memory bank. And when the time is right, I'm going to pull that out. To lay it on that person so that they'll do something for me. And we'll do that. And, and, and we, we do this when we have our, our little spats with our spouses, don't we? And when we get in a little disagreement, and then we'll say, well, remember all these things I did for you? I've sacrificed for you because I love you, right? And we lay all these things, and we want the other person to feel guilty because we want to show them, this is what I did for you, so you're not doing I'm not. I'm not reciprocating anything back from you. Then why did we do it to begin with? Well, we did it to begin with because, because we wanted to get something back. It's mutualistic. I'll do for you if you did do this for me. There's, there, there's always something. There, there's, there's always a catch, right? Nothing's ever for free. We, we do it because we want to get something back. But love 
that gives without expecting anything back is altruistic. I mean, it's beyond myself. And that was God's love. It was beyond. He wasn't expecting anything. He simply gave to us through his grace. And see, that's why I can serve Christ the way I do, because he's not looking to manipulate me with his love. Christ says, Barden, I love you so much, I gave my son for you. And the way I serve Christ now is out of this devotion and love for, for what he's done for me when I least deserved it. So now I'm able to offer grace to people who least deserve it because I understand the grace that was given to me because I least deserved it. See, that's the difference. That, now, that love is based in something concrete and solid. So, so if, if you've got a problem with the first two love definitions, it, it's not a, it's not a I'm Irish problem, I'm an Italian problem. I've, I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm stubborn and I'll... Because I'm, uh, I'm emotional because I'm Italian. Emotional, right? I'm Irish. I get a little hot. Well, that's the way I am. Dad was like that. Grandfather was like that. Great, 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 great grandfather. And I'm like that, right? And then, so we, it's, it's not an ethnic problem, all right? It's a love problem. You've got a love problem. I'm not correctly understanding the gospel message of what God did for me through his son. That's my problem. It's not an anger problem. It's not like if we're going to go right to the source, it's a love problem. I'm not correctly understanding what Jesus Christ did for me. There's a, there's a, it's misfiring. And so I want you to understand something. I, I love what Randy Elkhorn says about this, about godly living. He says, godly living centers not on what we avoid, but on whom we embrace. Anytime we talk more about do's and don'ts than about Jesus, something's wrong. The Christian life is far more than sin management, behavioral modification that is not empowered by God's heart-changing grace is self-righteous, as repugnant to God as the worst sins people gossip about. You see, the problem, guys, if if I have a problem with forgiveness, if I've got bitterness in my heart that's driving me, um, it's a love issue. God God needs to change my heart in that issue. And so many times we, we, we pray for other people for God to change them, and we need to do that. But the problem with that many times is we're so busy wanting God to change the other person that we're not allowing God to change us. And I'll tell you what, the main problems I have with marital counseling with many couples is they say, well, my spouse, you know, I get that. There's two, and, you know, there's two people in this relationship and there's problems on both. I get that. But so many times we feel like if the other person would just do A, B, and C, my life would be a whole lot easier. Meanwhile, God is trying to grab your heart to change you so that you'll look at this situation differently. And if we're not looking at this situation through God's love and through his sacrificial love of what he did for Jesus Christ, we're going to have a real difficult time loving the right way because we're going to get stuck in love that is egotistical or love that is mutualistic. And we won't get out of that to the love that is altruistic where it's beyond myself. And some of you here today, you're stuck in one or two. You're stuck there. You're stuck there. 
And God says, I want to move you beyond, beyond that to show you a love that's so much deeper and so much true and so much more real than a love that you can ever experience it. And you can only experience it when you go to the well of Jesus Christ. Because I want to take you there. I love this illustration by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany who was arrested opposing Nazism in World War II. And at the age of 39, he was hung in a Nazi concentration camp. Dietrich was engaged to be married to a fiance that he never married. You're probably thinking to yourself, well, pastor, that's real depressing. That's not the way you end a message on love. But let me tell you what he wrote. This is incredible. I want to read you what he wrote about marriage and about love while he was in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. While he was in a concentration camp, this is what he wrote about love and about marriage. He says this, As you gave the ring to one another and have now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor, so love comes from you. But marriage from above, from God, as high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the right, and the promise of love. It is not your love. Listen, this is a great part of the quote. It's not your love that sustains the marriage. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage is what sustains your love. Now, this is what he means by that. Marriage is a covenant that we choose to love, not based on feeling or sentiment or any of those things that are not based in solid love. He says, what's going to keep your marriage together is the covenant that you made before God. What's going to keep your marriage together is not, I don't have the same feelings. I did. You know, I get, it's been five, six years, and I don't have these feelings. That, that, that love, remember, if your love is based in one or two, if your love is based in feelings, if your love is based in sentiment, how many know those things are going to change? But I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, because what's going to sustain your love is not your love. What's going to sustain your love is the commitment that you made in that marriage, in the covenant that you made with your spouse. You see, what keeps your marriage together is not necessarily your love. Because how many know that changes? A lot of people say they love each other. What's going to sustain that is the commitment to the covenant that you made before God to love that person through God's love. Now, here, here's where it makes sense. Here's where it makes sense. Because when I base my love on a covenant, because God bases his love through the covenant that made through his son, Jesus Christ's blood. When you base it on that, now it's not a contract. How many would you would love to base your marriage on a contract? Right? Well, I'll love you if you do the dishes, and I'll love you if you do change the oil, and blah, blah. Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. Yeah, and I'm running to get my toaster and head out of that wedding ceremony, right? No one wants to go to that wedding ceremony. It's like, I'd rather get a root canal than go to that wedding ceremony, right? But listen to the wedding vows. 
The wedding vows are not fluffy. Watch me. They're not subjective. They're not, you know, honey, when we met, we met across this crowded room. And our eyes locked in one enchanted evening. And we were running across the hayfield to each other. And you had this beautiful white dress on. And I had this. And we ran to each other. And our eyes locked. And I knew that it was destiny from them. Is that what's in the wedding vows? Is that what's going to keep it together? Because the next day you wake up and your breath is funky, right? That all ends right there, right? The toilet seat is up, guys, right? It ends right there, right? It ends. That, that sentimental love song stuff ends there. Listen, here's what keeps it together. If it is covenantal, now listen to the wedding vows through covenantal language. I love you for better or for worse. Oh, yeah. a little different now, isn't it? Um, richer or poor. In sickness and in health. In your breath smells good this morning and your breath is real bad, right? Well, what is that? covenantal language that's not based in sentiment or fluffy love. It's based in a commitment that you made before God. God just didn't talk about his love towards you. It's not based in sentiment. It's not based in empty words. God made a covenant to you by sending his son to die And give his blood for you on a bloody cross 2,000 years ago to say, I love you. And when you receive that love and you bow before the foot of Jesus Christ, your whole outlook of love begins to change. Your outlook for love for your marriage changes because now you're loving your spouse, not based on your feelings, but through Jesus Christ. Now you look at that irritating coworker, that boss, blah, blah, blah. Now you're not looking at it through they deserve it, they don't deserve it. Now you're looking at it through the lenses of what God did for you and your whole perspective begins to change. That's love. That's love number three. Altruistic. Beyond yourself. Let's start Loving the right way. Let's start loving our spouses the right way. Let's start loving those people that irritate us the right way. That doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. and That's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. That's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus allowed himself, because of his love for you and I, to hang on a cross. The best visible picture that I can give you for love is this. Jesus' hand stretched out from one end of the cross to the other saying, that's how much I love you, that I'll give my life for you. Paul gives us a perfect example. Husbands, love your wives as I have loved the church, which is you and I, And gave myself for her. That's love number three. Altruistic. So if we're going to work on anything in the church, and believe me, I want us to have, I want you to be filled with God's spirit. 
I want you to be used in, in the gifts of the Spirit. Those are all wonderful things. But you know what? We got to get the love part right. If we don't get this right, everything else is going to be wrong. So let's get this right. Once we get this right, then everything will be done in, with the right motives. Because that's the reason why Paul wrote it. Because the church in Corinth were doing it with wrong motives. And they weren't loving each other the correct way. So let's get this right. So I want to pray with you and just ask God, maybe there's something in your heart. Maybe you're like, yeah, pastor, I'm really stumbling over one and two. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's, you're walking a little bit egotistical love. Maybe there's this mutualistic love that you're really hung up on and you're not really walking in that altruistic love that's beyond yourself. Let me pray for you this morning. We're going to close in a wonderful song. And I'm going to let you guys go. So let's pray. Let's just ask God to touch our hearts. And, and whatever the Holy Spirit is showing you in your heart that you need to deal with, and let the Holy Spirit do that work in your heart where there needs to be forgiveness or there needs to be forgiveness within your relationship. Let God work in your heart. Let Jesus just grab you with his love today to change your heart. When, when God's love grips your heart through Jesus Christ, it changes the way you look at everything. So let his love, God's love through his son, Jesus Christ, grab your heart. So Lord, we bow our hearts before you. And Jesus, we admit that we've messed up love. Every single one of us have gotten it wrong in one way or the other. Every single one of us in the room have, have walked in that love one or two and have used it for manipulation or uh, for building up ourselves. And we have done it wrong. And we repent of that today. And we say we are wrong. Help us to look to you, Jesus, because we want you to be glorified in our lives. We want you to be glorified in our marriage. We want you to be glorified in our church. And so, Lord, um, God, we, we want to make sure that we're walking in this love. So help us, God, this morning. Help us this morning. Just to be consumed with what Jesus did for us in his life. Let that be the core of our heart. And then let it be seen in the way we express it in our lives. Let it be seen in the way we treat one another. The way we give. The way we offer grace. As hard as it may be. As undeserving as it may be, let us always go back to the cross and say, I was the least to deserve it, God, but yet you still sent your son for me. And I pray for anyone here who has not started that relationship with Christ, who's not asked for forgiveness, who's not received God's love in the correct way. Lord, right now I pray that by faith they'd call on your name. And we know that anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can change their life. And through the repentance of our sin, you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit that changes our course for eternity. And I pray for anyone in this room that has not yet done that. May they call out to you, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for your grace that saves us today. Not based on our performance or our merit, but simply based in your grace that is encompassed by your love for us. Thank you for loving us today, Jesus. So I just pray right now. For anyone here that just does not feel God's love, that does not know God's love or understand it, that they would reach out to you, Jesus, and know that you love us, that you love us. You did everything possibly to reach us with your love. So we thank you for that. Thank you for your unconditional love that saves us today.
And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to stand. I want you to sing these words. And let's just thank God as we just close in song today. God bless you.